Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests to explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now, let's get on with the podcast. While Christians have a strong moral foundation for earthkeeping, As we've discussed in previous episodes, we don't have a sterling reputation for practicing what we preach. From that knowledge comes the recent book, Beyond Stewardship, a collection of essays edited by and contributed to by Calvin University professors, ecologist Dr. Dave Warners, and engineer Dr. Matt Hewn. This two-part interview will talk about the Christian environmental stewardship paradigm, where it may be lacking, and how we can reframe a Christ-centered commitment to tend and watch over all of God's creation to better inspire the next generation of earth keepers. This interview spanned two sessions, so we broke it up into two episodes. The first was last week, and this week you'll hear the conclusion. Enjoy. The earthkeeping book has been um, and continues to be really important for a lot of people, um, which is fantastic. Um, and we really feel like we're standing on the shoulders of the happens to be all gentlemen who, mm-hmm. who put that together. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and you yeah. had their, their sort of tacit endorsement, I guess not even tacit, explicit. They, uh, they contributed a sort of a, a postlude to the book and, and talked about their experience watching this movement, which they helped to initiate over time. What was it like working, you know, sort of uh, having them witness the, um, the evolution of the, of the movement that they started? Well, I mean, I think the idea for the, the final word to, to let the authors of of uh, earthkeeping have the final word was to honor the place that mm. we think we are that is in large part due to them mm-hmm. and it felt right and natural that we could give them space to to have their say to allow them to um, talk about the process that they went through to do earth keeping, um, to let them have a word about what it feels like to have it be in the rearview mirror and new work being built upon it. Um, and all of that is because even from the very start, we knew that we were standing on their shoulders with the work that we, we were doing. And, and, uh, it just felt right to honor it. It's it's kind of a, a tricky thing to do um, because on the one hand, we're seeking a bit of distance and mm. and wanting to catalyze a new conversation. Yep. But on the other hand, we know we wouldn't be in the place to want even want to do that unless their work had already been there. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's delicate to say we appreciate your work and it was good work and yet it was maybe a little bit 
it, you know, it, it does need to change and evolve. And I think most people probably would recognize that nothing's ever going to just sit as it, as it in one piece forever. But um, I'm sure that yeah, was that's, tricky. That's where in the intro, I mean, we, we sort of gave ourselves the space to do that in the introduction or the preface. I don't remember which one it was, where we talked about reformed and always being reformed by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The great thing about the reformed tradition is that we give ourselves permission to rethink and reevaluate and um, by that's a, that's a great intellectual heritage that we have that provides the um, the the permission to do kinds of things that that we you know that we did with this book um, and it's one of the rich richnesses of the Reformed tradition is is to have that in our heritage, and it, it makes life at a at a um, university that's uh, Reformed. It makes it part of the wonder of, of being there is to have the opportunity to do these kinds of things. Yeah, I would I would say you know it parallels a, a candid understanding of oneself too. I mean, none of us have ever. Uh, will ever arrive at the place where we would like ourselves to be in, in our in our faith journey. There's always um, improvements that uh, we can be working on, and I think uh, professionally, why would we think it would be any different, right? Even when there are really good ideas and really good work that's been done, uh, it's not the end all. That's not the way we ought to stop and and just that's that's done. Check it off, you know. Yeah. So it's. Uh, these things needs need reexamination and um, and the times change as well. You know, nobody was talking about climate change um, mm. in nineteen eighty, yep. and so the idea of stewardship is great uh, was was so helpful. But how do you steward a climate? You know, whose job is that? Yeah, um, it, 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 it really it, it has limitations uh, as we talk about in the book. Yeah. Even though it was it was a wonderful advancement over ideas of dominion. Speaking of change over time, what, what are the patterns that we're seeing and how the, you know, the broader Christian church is responding to this call of, of creation care, of earth key, keeping, of stewardship, whatever label we want to assign to it? What, how's the book been received and are we seeing change and what's the catalyst for that change? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I have noticed that it seems to resonate, uh, I would say, especially with young people who... Hmm. Um, really have a heart for creation care. And so if there's somebody out there who's skeptical and thinks that creation care is sort of a, you know, an inferior calling that we first need to save souls, I doubt the book will resonate with them. But for young Christians, especially who are really concerned about um, God's creation, and um, it, it seems to resonate with them. So um, we've had some very good responses. Different um, church groups have taken it up or... Um, um, other community groups, book book clubs, and things like that. Uh, I'll also say that it's been really interesting to Matt and, and I to hear back from friends and others who've read it, and they'll say, oh, I just loved that chapter on such and such. Yeah. And then we say, oh, yeah, that's nice. And then somebody else will say, you know what, the, the best chapter in that book was this one. And so <laughs> it, it's got, and it's not, there's not always the same, and it's really kind of surprising sure. to see. So, um, I think that's maybe one of the hidden beauties of the book too, is that, you know, it's got lots of different perspectives and lots of different writing styles. Um, although, it, you know, we, we'd like to think that the book holds together really well too, but it, I think different chapters will really connect with different 
readers, uh, depending on their own experiences. And that's that's oh. a that's I would just want to say that's that's a feature, not a bug, right? That that's oh, how yeah. we want. That's how we wanted it. We we know that when we have huge problems that need to be addressed, it you need all kinds of voices to to chip in and and work on it. And this book, I think, is is one way that we tried to bring a bunch of voices in. And so we, from the outset, we expected that some chapters would resonate with some readers and different chapters with other readers. And that's, that's exactly the way we want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the most encouraging things I see this, this movement, which seemed to exist primarily in the, in this field, the, the sciences 10 or 20 years ago is, you know, the economists and the theologians and the sociologists are, are starting to raise their hand and say, this is really important, uh, even outside of a push from, from all the nerds and the environmental uh, wing of the, of the university or whatever it may be. And I, I, that seems like a really positive um, direction. I, I would say it's also, yeah, it's, it's positive. It's so encouraging too, to, you yeah. know, to, to have those sorts of conversations with economists and with English professors and, you know, that uh, this is a, a widely perceived uh, need uh, to pay better attention, to live more carefully, yep. and, um, yep. take better care. So, yeah, it's very encouraging to see that spread. Yeah. You know, for those uh, listening that might not be as tuned into this topic as, as we are and interested in as we are, how do people know when stewardship isn't working, why, why do we need to continue to push this and move beyond the old model? What, 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 what evidence is there that things are not um, in good shape, I guess? Do you want to start, David, or do you want me to? <laughs> That's a big one. So what I, you know, I, I've just done this. Um, I finished off a course on ecology and evolution here at Calvin. And so I give them a, a last uh, lecture and I try to I try to be inspiring, you know, I, you know, I, I, I know I fall short of where I'd like to be, but um, what, I, what I do with that last lecture is I just show them a series of graphs of data and I show them, you know, global temperature, I show them global carbon dioxide, I show them species extinction, I show them human population growth. And each of those curves looks the same, right? It's got this exponential growth. And, and you could put a whole bunch of other graphs out there, you know, plastic, you know, pollution or something, I, you know, um, ocean um, integrity, whatever. Um, and, and the point I'm trying to make through all that is that, you know, it doesn't matter how you look at it. We're not headed in a good direction. You know, if we let, if, if we just continue to maintain the status quo, keep doing things the way we've been doing them, um, the future is looking kind of frightening. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge, it seems to me, is to step off that. Um, that trajectory and to make some significant changes. And I, you know, I, I would say without laying a lot of blame, but I mean, the, the creation care paradigm throughout those curves going in the bad direction has been stewardship, Christian environmental stewardship. And um, while we, you know, we have benefited a, a lot from that, I think it's time to get a lot more serious. Uh, this is not something that, okay, we need to recycle more. Um, we got to change the way we're living fundamentally. We got to change the things we value fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and so there's some really, really significant um, paradigm shifts that need to take place. And that's not easy. That's really hard. And we're not saying this book is, is the answer, but we'd like to think that this book can open up the way to, um, 
to making some of those really significant changes that, that really uh, I'm convinced need to happen. Yep. So I'm going to be a little contrarian and in for the purposes of stirring a little debate hmm. and to point out where the conundrums lie <clears throat> in what we're talking about. So David, you've mentioned, you said something like, if you look at all these curves, they're all going, you know, badly in, in a bad direction. But there are some curves that actually look really, really awesome. Mm. Life expectancy over time. Um, literacy. Malnutrition. We've actually solved some, a lot of those problems. Solved, solved in quotes, okay? Uh, not like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> not everybody and not it not evenly and maybe only those that have enough economic means to have them be solved and maybe if you have the right skin color and you know mm-hmm. zillion zillion caveats but compared to where we were on a lot of those metrics 100 years ago 200 years ago this world is a very different place and, a, mm-hmm. and a, an awesome place compared to where it was before mm-hmm. but at what expense yeah mm-hmm. And we don't, we've constructed human societies in a way that allows us to hide, that diminishes and reduces human contact with the expenses of, uh, on the climate, on the environment, the non-human creation, um, so that we don't see them, those, those impacts, and we don't, um, we don't feel the urgent need to react because these are slow burn problems as opposed to fast burn problems that are on the time scale of election cycles. Mm-hmm. So, so it really, there's, there's a really good reason why we have been consuming, I should say it differently. There are good reasons why we have been consuming the environment, the natural environment. Not all of the reasons that we've consumed in natural environment are good, but some of those reasons are good. Hmm. And the challenge for us, it seems to me, and the conundrum that we face whenever we talk about this is to be able to talk about these challenges with the nuance that it deserves. And also to understand that, um, to, to find ways to keep the good parts of what has happened over the last 100, 200 years. Um, and get rid of the bad parts. Mm-hmm. And that those challenges are not easy. And I would argue that understanding and navigating through those challenges requires a deep understanding of the damage that's been done to the non-human creation mm-hmm. and requires a lot deeper and more nuanced and better thinking about humanity's relationship to the non-human creation. And that's those are exactly the things that this book wants to start the conversation about. Yeah. I don't mean to step on you there, David, but I, I want to yeah. bring that piece of it out because, yeah, you know, those are the those. Are the, that's why it, that's why this problem is a challenge mm-hmm. because much of the degradation of non-human creation has has been um, has accompanied improvement in human condition for a lot of people on a lot of different metrics. Um, and how do you, how do you keep the good without throwing and discard the bad without, without, you know, discarding the good also? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I think that's, that is important to say. And I think even uh, piggybacking on that, how would you guys make a distinction between secular environmentalism and their, their, their goals and their approach versus Christian uh, earthkeeping? Yeah, I don't see, I don't see a hard border, tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, there's probably, it seems to me that we have all the same reasons to be motivated as quote unquote secular environmentalists. Yeah. And, and then some, <laughs> uh, because we, we, we worship the creator. We, we learn about the creator from a creation that's full of integrity and full of beauty. And we learn less about the creator when the creation has been severely degraded. So it, it seems to me that we, we can work side by side. Uh, we can be integrated with the quote unquote secular community yeah. and, um, and, and be motivated by the same things they are. So I, I, um, I don't, I don't see a hard break between the two. Hmm. Add anything, Matt? From my experience in the engineering discipline, um, we we have a really similar conversation there and that conversation you know the, the canonical way to get into that conversation is to say well does the bridge designed by a christian engineer look any different from a bridge designed by a, right. a, a, a you know a secular engineer yep. or a non-believing engineer and you know to a large extent maybe not because both a a professional competent secular engineer is going to have many of the same objectives that a christian engineer would have like this bridge has got to get people from one side to the other without falling down it has mm -hmm. to last for 50 years um, it needs to be uh, coherent with its surroundings it has to fulfill its purposes and um, to the extent that you can agree on what's you know what it means to be in harmony with its surroundings and to the extent that you can agree on what the purposes of the bridge are, maybe there's not much difference between two different engineers. And I think it's similar to for Christians and non-Christians working in the environmental realm. And I would say that that's, that that's awesome. I mean, I think it's great when the challenges, as we mentioned before that we face and the, and the nuance that we need are, are really big and great. You do need all hands on deck yeah. to work on challenges. So you've got to be willing to work shoulder to shoulder with somebody who's, um, who's not a believer. And, and what's, <laughs> what's fun to me is the times when you are just working and, you know, like in, in, in your guild or whatever, as a researcher, um, you, all of a sudden you run into somebody and you're like, I wonder if that person is also a Christian <laughs> from what they say. And then you connect and you're like, they, they say something about their family and then they're going to church and all that stuff. And you're like, I knew it, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. And it's just fun. And one time one guy, a guy from Cambridge University came up to me and he goes, Calvin, that's not John Calvin, is it? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And he goes, well, yeah, I go to church too. And, you know, mm -hmm. and we've been great friends ever since. So it's, it's fun to, to have those moments where you're, you're just trying to be faithful. You're just working as hard as you can and trying to come up with answers for these important questions. And then find, you know, you run into somebody else who has similar beliefs and outlook as you 
and it just makes the experience all the richer when that happens. Yeah. If I could quick add um, a little example. So the, the watershed work that I'm involved in, you know, we are part of a national uh, watershed, you know, community and we have a national conference each year and we'll go and we'll present some of the aspects of our work and we go to a lot of talks and it's really inspiring. And um, one of the, one of the um, curious things about our group is, is in, in that context is that we're Christians and there's no other Christian watershed groups. Mm. And um, in um, one year we were asked um, if we could give a talk at the following conference on how do you engage the faith community in watershed restoration? Because a lot of these groups really wanted to know how can you connect with churches or with Christian schools and what do you need to do? What, what's the language that you need to use? And that sort of thing. So we did. It was a, a very well attended um, seminar. And, you know, it turns out we talked to people afterwards. There are a whole bunch of those people who were Christians, but they're working for secular organizations. Or they had left the church because they were frustrated with the church for not caring more about uh, the creation. So, you know, I think I, I'm not, I'm not um, criticizing your question at all, Dale, but I think as Christians, we often are too quick to see the world in, in black and white, sort of believers yeah. and non-believers. Even the, those terms, um, they really distance people and they sort of set us up. You know, I, I like to think of it as much more of a spectrum. And um, we share so much more in common uh, with people who we think we're different from than, yep. what, uh, than the differences that, that might be between us. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's any difference in our, in our action I, I do think the the underpinnings of our motivation is is interesting to to get. I feel like Christians have a really strong argument for the inherent goodness of of creation that is it's a, you know most conservation biology texts they spend a third of the class trying to figure out why we care so much mm-hmm. and and I feel like the, the the Christian angle you know the action is no different, but the thought perspective the the inner motivation it seems to me is um is is different and and i think what i appreciate about about your book is that it is a whole bunch of different scholars wrestling with this question of how do we get this across to the christian community because we don't have the most stellar reputation as people that are caring about this right so what's do we need to talk you know is it a different is it a different word? Is it a different, is it a different message? Is it a different method? Uh, how is it that we, that we reach this? It's almost like unchurched groups, except it's, you know, people that haven't accepted this, the message that the environment is part of God's story. And it's, and it's an important aspect of sharing the gospel is like, that it transforms how we live and how we do. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I do really appreciate your, your, your suggestion. I think that's, that's something that needs to be um, accessed is how do we reach into these Christian churches that are resistant to this topic and convince them that acting in the same way as a different audience doesn't mean thinking and believing in the same, in a, in a, the same way as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're Related to that, we're recording this in the midst of this, you know, coronavirus outbreak uh, and pandemic, and uh, that's a topic that has obvious uh, relationship to economics and immunology and all of that good stuff. But 
I think in ways that are surprising some of us, it's very much tied to environmental stewardship as well. Do you guys want to speak into the patterns we're seeing around um, how different communities and different environments are reacting differently to this outbreak? Go ahead, Matt. I'd, I'd like to say a few things that maybe are a bit broader mm-hmm. than your question, um, but help set the context maybe a little bit, and then we can maybe get into some more details. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find fascinating here is that this, the experience of the pandemic reminds us how how phenomena act on different levels. And this idea comes from systems thinking. And it reminds us too that when a phenomenon works across multiple different levels, the more levels that it works across, the more impactful it is. So if you think about this, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, COV, SARS-2, or whatever, you know, whatever name you want to use for it, it works at the viral, almost the molecular level in terms of the way it attacks uh, cells and the biology of whatever's going on at that very small level. But then it works at the level of an organ, a human organ, like lungs, or you got aches, muscles, and stuff like that, coughing at the level of droplet projection from your coughs and headaches and whatever else. But then it works at the whole body level if you have a fever. It works at the family level because you spread infections within the family. It's an issue for first responders, which is a group of people, bigger group of people. And then at the local level, because your local health department has to be, you know, county health department is the locus of decision-making in the health system in the United States. So it operates at that level. And then of course, at the state level with stay at home orders and national level where you have different leadership responses from different countries all responding to this thing that actually has dimensions down at the viral level as well. And then the international level where you suspend travel and all this stuff. This is a phenomenon that just spans all those levels. And it just, for me, it reminds us that when you have something like that, it is going to be really important and really impactful. And we're seeing that, we're seeing that play out. Um, I think it also puts the lie to the notion that somehow the economy and human activity and society in general is separate from the non-human creation. Because here you have something from the non-human creation absolutely intruding into humanity, society, however you want to say it. And we, you know, a lot of, a lot of disciplines, and I'm going to pick on my economics friends here, the neoclassical economists will, they, when they draw their picture in their textbooks of what the economy looks like, there is nothing in there about the natural world or the non-human creation. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, it is, that is not, I mean, all models have things that they amplify and things that they um, hide. And the idea that you would have a model that hides the importance of the non-human creation to humanity is something that it can be dangerous and we really need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that with this, yeah this uh, phenomenon that's going on. Um, and the other thing we noticed too is that energy, the economy, pollution, they're all linked together. Mm-hmm. You, um, mm-hmm. the, some of the most fascinating stories coming out of this are those stories that say, well, uh, the skies in China are clearing up. Mm-hmm. 
Well, why? Because, well, we just turned off our economy. So if you, <laughs> if you don't think that the economy runs on energy and energy causes pollution or that somehow we can break that link, um, you know, you, you, let me put it this way. You can't think that anymore. You can't think that they're disconnected because we just have evidence showing that if you turn everything off in a matter of two weeks, you're going to have clearer skies. Yeah. Um, so so there, it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating to think about the responses of the natural, the non-human creation. And, you know, even like pictures of people showing different birds and animals coming into areas where they haven't been seen in decades. Well, yeah, you shut everything down and things are going to change. Um, so the idea that there's, there's a disconnect between humans and their non-human creation, I think is, is really blown up by the events that happened, um, after the, the pandemic. So, okay. So that's, that's kind of big level stuff, but maybe I should stop there and give David <laughs> oh, a chance to, to talk, but I, I just find it absolutely fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, I, what, one of the things I was reading about is how seismologists, right. You measure earthquakes. Yeah, uh, have found that they're able to detect tremors from at a much greater distance and much uh, smaller amplitude because you don't have the, all the background basically <laughs> shaking <laughs> the earth now because our economy is shut down. So that's that fascinated me. Um, you know, there are lots of accounts of of animals showing up in places where they normally don't. I mean, right here in our neighborhood in Grand Rapids, we've had a herd of deer moving through. Um, and they've eaten a number of my tulips and, and whatnot. And I've lived here 23 years and we haven't had deer and I haven't had to worry about deer. So, you know, um, these things are, these things are kind of cool. I, I think one, one of the things that really gives me pause is, okay, so we basically have really dialed down human impact on the creation during this time. And we see that the creation is better for it. Mm. And I think there's something there that we really need to pay attention to. Um, couldn't we have an economy that actually has positive um, benefits to the creation? Can we figure out a way to live in the world so that we don't have such a negative impact mm. all over the place? It's, I mean, the answer is yes. If we were motivated to do so, we can absolutely do that. But right now, the way we do our economy, the way we do our lives, it, it incurs a cost on the creation, and uh, I would say a bigger and bigger cost. So. Um, so yeah, I, I think again, you know, going back to my reference about the graphs, I think it shows too that we got to figure out a different way to do this. We can't just keep taxing the creation the way we are, yep. because there's more and more of us, and there's less and less of the creation uh, to support the way that we're doing things. So um, I think this is a real good lesson um, that we've got to figure out new ways to new ways to uh, live our lives and do our economies and build our buildings and grow our crops and all those sorts of things. Yep. We, need a, we need a new paradigm. Yeah, there, there's a, a hidden hope in, in, in these changes and the way, like you said, the, the, the quick rebound that we're seeing in some corners of the environment, cleaning up the air and whatnot, that, that when we overcome some of these hurdles, whether it's you know pollution and energy or or agricultural uh, methods that you know the, the resilient creation that God put together hopefully will, will rebound some some things will never get back but but some it's I think there's reason for hope at least as we as we push forward you know because I think that your your book seems to be a, a mix of both lament 
but and hope and and optimism and and reason to be uh, to anticipate good things from the future as as the Christian church sort of finds its way into the right message and embraces this. Uh, and as we all work with young students, that's where I get some of my greatest hope. As you said, young students, do, they're really engaged with this topic in a way they weren't even just 10 years ago. Um, I've seen the same thing. It, yeah, and, and I think I, yeah, Go ahead, David. Would say, and then um, I think that the piece of lament is so important. Mm. I mean, it's really important to sober up and realize what we have done. Yeah. You know, it's not just that, oh, the climate is changing. We changed the climate. You know, let's, let's, let's put, it, put it on us the way it, where it should be. Um, we, have, we have messed up the oceans. You know, that's us. And that should make us really sad yeah. uh, because we don't have to do that kind of thing. And so this sense of lament is, is so important because out of it can emerge, like you're talking about, a hopeful new way to move into the future. Uh, but if we if we skip over the lament part, then our motivation for moving into the future isn't going to be as as focused and, and as strong as it ought to be. Yep. So those are two really big and good words, hope and lament. But I want to add a third one, which is opportunity. Another big word that's mm-hmm. helpful at this time. You know, the sort of joking political phrase is never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and I think what we have now is an opportunity to push a little bit of a reset button and everybody's talking about, well, how do we emerge and how do we get the economy going again? If we just spin the economy back up the way it used to go, then we will have had a six month or an eight month pause, which I guess is good, but what if, uh, you know, what if we took the opportunity that's presented to us here to change some things, to restructure some things, to, um, you know, provide a less impactful way to still, um, you know, take care of people? Because the economy is 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 one, one and a, a big way that we provide for human well-being. And could we provide that same well-being? in some ways with less impact. Yep. Those are those are important questions to ponder and uh, maybe make some changes as we emerge out of the pandemic. Yep. Well, I think you guys do a great job of, of giving us uh, all the above, right? The, uh, a reminder that we need to be aware of the harm we've done in the past, encouragement that there's opportunity um, to, to proceed and do better in the future. Um, and, and so just, yeah, thanks for your contribution for putting this book together and your, and your contributions to it. Um, obviously I'll put a link to this in the, the, the show notes. Uh, do you guys have any other good place where you can be reached or where, where people can find more information about, um, either the book or any of the work that you're involved in? Yeah. So the book has a website beyond stewardship.com. And uh, there's a lot of information there, including uh, Matt and I interviewed each of the authors, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting thing to do. And we interviewed each other, which was also fun. <laughs> um, and so it was, um, so those links are all there as well as some study guides and, and things like that. So a lot of other resources. So, um, and you can find both of us uh, on Calvin's uh, homepage as well. If people want to get in touch with us, um, that would be great. 
Yeah, my name is unique enough that if you just search for me, you find a whole bunch of stuff, including my Google Google Scholar page and all kinds of other stuff about me. Great. Um, I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any of that stuff. That's just not my my thing. So um, you're just going to have to do the old-fashioned web search. Uh, what David mentioned, the interviews that we did with uh, the authors, and that was one of the to me, one of the most rewarding pieces of this whole project was, was, was doing those interviews. And it was, you know, roughly nine months to a year after the, um, the meetings, the, the workshops that we had. And what, four or five months after everybody had submitted their final versions, uh, the book wasn't out yet. But it was those interviews that are packaged in sort of a podcast format are a really great way to it was really great to talk with the authors at a time when they had a little bit of distance from the project and they could um, reflect on it a little bit mm -hmm. in a way that you don't, you can't when you write in the middle of something. Um, and they're, they just turned out really nicely. So if you have a podcast player, you can just search for beyond stewardship in the podcast uh, thing and you can find, find uh, the series of well, almost 15 interviews or so. Yeah, I did, I did listen to those and they're, and they're very well done. So th thanks for you guys for putting that together. Yeah, that's a good, a good place to wrap up. We're running low on time. Thank you again, gentlemen, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, I'll make sure everybody has links to find Beyond Stewardship. And thanks for your contribution to just making the Christian church aware of, of how we need to, to grow. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Dale. Yep. Been fun yeah, fun. thanks, Dale. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. Disciple Science exists to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We're a nonprofit based in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we are fully crowdfunded, so everything we do is dependent on your generosity. You can give by visiting our website, disciplescience.com. There you can also explore the rest of our resources, sign up for our newsletter, send us feedback about what you want to hear more about in the future. You can also help by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts, liking and commenting on our videos on YouTube, and telling your friends about Disciple Science. I want to thank Caleb Davis, as always, for composing our theme music and for producing this week's episode. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.